Morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Welcome to the contest 2024, where we look at the most important political race in the world, the election of our new president in the United States in November of this year, and the House and the Senate. And as I said to my long-suffering staff, uh, there is a problem for us about 2024, and that's that we called 2022 perfectly, and we called 2020 down to the 50-50 divided Senate. And if you, we said Biden would win uh, close but clear in the presidency, we said that the House would indeed switch and become Republican dominated by a narrow majority, and we said the Senate would be a 50-50 tie. The problem with getting it absolutely perfectly right is that we're unable to better that result and that we can only try to do as well again, knowing that that's entirely highly unlikely that we'll get it down to the individual senator. But we will do our level best. But we come in again. We always say judges by our record. We come in with a far better track record than all the polling people that we're about to discuss and most of the cheerleaders who pretend that they are not wish casters, even though that they are. And so we're going to spend most of our time having a snapshot of the race here in February 2024, looking at where the election is today. Uh, Donald Trump is ahead, narrowly, but near the edge of the margin of error uh, nationally. Uh, if you make the race be five-way, which it will be, although many third-party candidates are going to struggle with ballot access, we'll talk more about that as we go, but in a five-way race right now, the Real Clear average, and again, whenever you want to look, I commend you to read Real Clear Politics. You get absolutely update to up to the minute results of what's going on politically. It's uh, the Bible of doing this seriously. And for those of you who care about looking individually at the broad cross-section of what the Anglo-Saxon world is thinking, Real Clear World is awfully good too, which has several hundred articles on foreign policy that we... Uh, sift through on every given day here at the firm. But the main thing to look at is Trump is up in aggregate about five points in a five-way race. That's allowing for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at a startling 13% on average. He has the highest positives for young people and the highest approval rating of all the candidates. Obviously, famously this in this election, both Donald Trump and Joe Biden have very low approval ratings, and in fact, Gallup polling got right that three-quarters of the electorate would like some more choices. Robert Kennedy is riding this wave, having run a very positive, issue-oriented candidacy up to now. He's at 13%. He has some ballot access problems in that running is much harder as a third-party candidate, and the results state-by-state, state, which is how we put a lot of people on the ballot, skews to the established two parties. But Bobby Kennedy has a real chance to get on the ballot in all 50 states. He has a heck of a war chest. He can go out and get people to sign, uh, petitioners to sign. You usually need a number of signatories uh, to make things work. Uh, ballot by ballot, this matters. And he has lawyers to talk about when it's unfair and the two parties are trying to shut him out. So he has a real shot at this. The other two candidates who register, we're going to leave no labels out of it at the moment. No labels is a centrist group, highly organized with a lot of money, looking for a centrist alternative. They say they will not run if they think that hands the election to Donald Trump. But at the moment, they would get on the ballot in over 30 states, and they would be looking for someone like, say, Joe Manchin, uh, the retiring conservative Democratic senator from West Virginia, Someone in the middle, former governor, though he said he won't do it, Larry Hogan of Maryland, left-wing Republican. 
people in the middle to try to see if there's room for a centrist party. They're already on the ballot, I think, in some 30 states. And then it gets harder for Cornell West, who's running independently. I think now it's the Progressive Party, but basically as an independent, he's at 2%. And Jill Stein with the Green Party, which is better organized, she's also at 2%. So when you add in this five-way race, and yes, it will depend state by state as to who gets on the ballot, and we'll be watching that like a hawk, but in a pure five-way race, Donald Trump's two-point lead over Biden becomes a five-point lead, meaning the more the merrier for Donald Trump. The more candidates, the merrier, particularly Jill Stein and Cornell West, pull votes away from Biden. The Green Party voters are not going to vote for Trump. They're going to vote for Biden. And with these very narrow uh, margins, remember, Biden basically won the presidency last time by three states and about 40,000 votes, you could argue, with these very, which is the size of a small American town, if you look at that and you look at these these people pulling away in a five-way race, this would determine the election against Biden. We, we said this about a year ago now when we talked about RFK. Bobby's polling from both parties relatively equally up to now, though we're watching if that changes as things progress. But Cornell West and Jill Stein are pulling most definitely from Joe Biden. So that makes things worse. In a two-way race, Biden's down two within the margin of error. In a five-way race... Biden's down five, and that's just at the edge of the margin of error. Worse for Biden, uh, Bloomberg Morning Consult has done a monthly series of polls on the on the battleground states. And again, the dirty secret of American politics is we could call 43 or 44 of the states right now, and we would be right. We're really, this is easier than people make it out to be. Massachusetts will vote Democratic and give its electoral votes to the Democrat running. Uh, whether they do that by 30 points or 20 points is interesting academically, but does not matter practically. The same for California. It will overwhelmingly vote for the Democrats. The same with New York State. It will overwhelmingly vote for the Democrats. On the other hand, much of the Deep South, much of the Great Plains states, meaning the South and the West, will vote Republican. And you could put that to the bank. Texas will vote Republican, though by a narrower margin. Than the others that we've mentioned. Florida will vote Republican. It's now a red state. So you can begin to take these states off the table and you're down to a relatively small number of states that will determine the election. States like, as happened last time, they're the same battleground states as in 2020. States like Arizona, states like Georgia, North Carolina, though that is certainly drifting toward red country. But Georgia, um, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. If you follow those states, you're onto it. Again, Arizona uh, is, is a vital state. Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, these are battleground states. And at the moment, Trump is winning all of them, according to the Bloomberg Morning Consult poll. He's up a staggering eight points in Georgia, which is outside the margin of error, a state Biden absolutely needs. He's up 10 to 11 points in North Carolina, way beyond the margin of error. That's barely a battleground state now. He's up significantly in Arizona. Oh, and I forgot to throw in Nevada. Nevada's close, but tilting Trump. And he's even up a point or two in Pennsylvania, though I don't know that I believe that. The Democrats always seem to pull out Pennsylvania. The Republicans get heartbreakingly close but lose. But Trump's up significantly in Michigan. There's a real Michigan problem 
for Biden among blue collar workers there. He's up somewhere in the neighborhood of five to eight points beyond the margin of error. And this is a must win state for Biden. And Wisconsin is in essence a tie. So when you add all this up, pardon me, I had to have a a drink of water here. Again, the dangers of live radio. Um, When you add all this up, Trump is ahead. We vote by state. So the national numbers favor Trump within the margin of error, a five-way slightly beyond the margin of error. And in battleground states, Trump is winning the election. I want to dig down, though, on one poll that just came out, and specifically the NBC News poll uh, that just came out over the weekend, mainly because it's a good poll and it tracks what all the other polls are saying. The only real exception to Trump being ahead is the Quinnipiac poll, which is a little wonky anyway, and has Biden up six nationally. On every other major poll, Trump is Trump is ahead. And the margins vary from one to say six or seven percent, but he's ahead in all the other polls. So at the moment you throw out Quinnipiac as a bad poll. The NBC poll though tracks really the rest and it points out the contours of the race really well. So I thought we'd dive down on that on our Monday and perhaps go on to some actually oddly good news in the Middle East later in the week before doing our fifth album. I don't know what I'm doing yet before I hit the road um, for the first trip of the year to head to Bavaria to see some clients and then the kids. Uh, lots of exciting news, by the way, about the book going ahead, which I'll, I'll mention briefly at the end. So this NBC poll, what does it say? Well, the headline view is that Trump leads Biden by 47 to 42, which is about right in a two-way uh, race, that, that he's up by about 47 to 42, which is, you know, just beyond the margin of error. That's a significant lead. He leads him by six, so another point. This is the Jill Stein Cornell West fact in, 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 a, in a five-way race. They didn't like the way they did the, the third-party candidates here. They gave them lower numbers than Bobby's at. It was a hypothetical candidate rather than a real person. I think that's a, that's a silly idea. But it does allow for the idea of the poll of other candidates besides Trump or Biden. And without getting that, you're not really making sense of this race. You need to include everybody. It's not just a straight two-way race at the moment. In fact, this race will be characterized by many parties getting above 1%. Anyway, when you add this in, Trump's up six. He's up 41.35 over Biden. So it does skew slightly in this poll toward the toward the Republicans. I would argue that the number's probably greater when you add everything in. I think that's a little low, but, but okay. It gives you a sense of what's going on, I think. Specifically, though, and what's interesting is the crosstabs. As you dig into the poll and what does it actually say, these numbers get interesting. Biden trails Trump by more than 20 points on which candidate would better handle the economy. And this is driving the Biden people crazy. They keep, they keep mentioning Bidenomics. They want to own the economy and say, look, things are better. Jobs are returning. The American economy, unlike the moribund economy of Europe, I, and I love, I mentioned this before, European cheerleaders have a new word for stagnation. It's stable. Europe is growing at zero. That's stable. This is wish casting. This is not seeing that Europe is in utter irretrievable decline. If you've been growing in the last 15 years, the European economy has grown 9%, the American economy 86%. This is a factoid that is all you need to know. Europe can wish away these numbers all at once, but it's falling ever further behind with its sclerotic, overly bureaucratic, social democratic safety system, work shy population that wants far more benefits than they produce. And over time, this just doesn't work. 
But Biden wants credit for this, and he's not getting it, and it's frustrating him. He's down more than 20 points to Trump in terms of handling the economy, and they keep saying, oh, this number is going to move around. And indeed, in general, Americans are slightly more rosy about the economy than they've been. American growth numbers for last year were impressive, well over 2% overall for the year. Again, this compares with zero in Europe and lower growth rates in China. The American economy is actually relatively doing better than the Chinese economy, which is yet to catch up to it, despite all overly confident predictions to that effect. So Biden's saying, why don't I get the credit? I can explain this in one word. Why is Trump up 20 points? Again, why? The only question that matters. Why is Trump up 20 points over Biden on the economy when the economy is demonstrably doing better than it was before coming out of the dip from COVID? What's going on here? In one word, what's going on is prices. Prices. Prices are accumulated rates of inflation. And so for Biden to say now that inflation is plummeting, which it is, meaning the rate of increase has gone down from when he spent money like a drunken sailor and prices exploded. And for the first time in two generations, the inflation genie, which had been put in the bottle so carefully by Paul Volcker, former chairman of the Fed, and Ronald Reagan, the inflation genie escaped and we had an explosion in prices of between 8 and 10 percent and among the basket of individual goods, even higher. Beyond this, people remember. They remember what prices were before COVID. So you saying the rate of increase is slowing. There's not deflation going on. There's still inflation, but the rate of increase is slowing. This doesn't move the average human being who remembers that before Biden spent money to appease his progressive base and run the table and enact every social program on their wish list, which led predictably to a, to a spike in inflation. Again, this isn't difficult, guys to a spike of inflation. Economics is economics. Numbers are numbers. Um, The fact that that's increasing by a smaller rate doesn't impress the hard-pressed American cost-of-living person trying to survive. They remember that that prices were much lower before COVID. Then came the spending coming out of COVID, with COVID being the pretext for the Democrats to spend money like like a drunken sailor. And they're not impressed. They're not impressed because that prices are the accumulated rate of inflation, that inflation was at 12%, 10%, and now is at 2%. People don't forget the 12 to 10, which is baked into the cake. That number doesn't go down. And so this is why, simply, in one word, Biden trails Trump by 20 points. And I think he's going to be hard-pressed to get that number significantly down. He, tra- he trails Trump by more than 30 points in terms of handling immigration issues. And this is a no-brainer. Biden, and my grandma's word for this would be lying. He can say he's done everything he can on the border all he wants, but we all know it's been shamefully neglected. Literally, in December of 2023, more illegals crossed the border than in the whole of a year for a couple of Trump's years. This is extraordinary. The, The number of people crossing the border has increased by a factor of 10 under Biden. It's a whole other decimal level here. And people don't talk about this uh, within the Biden camp, but he can he can wish cast and lie all he wants, but he's lying to himself. Everyone knows that he's shamefully neglected the border. I'm to the point that I almost believe the notion that this is so people can quickly become citizens and then vote Democratic. Um, it's the neglect is so purposeful that there has to be a reason for it. You, you just don't throw your arms up. This is part of Kamala Harris's problem. She was put in charge 
of of the border issue of immigration, and that's like being put in charge of the of the Titanic. And Biden rightly trails Trump by 30 points on handling this vital issue, which has moved up voters' concerns and is now the second most important issue to the economy. So on the most important issue, he trails Trump by more than 20, which is the economy. On the second most important issue, immigration, he trails Trump by more than 30. Overall, Biden's approval rating is down to 37 percent. Again, the way to look at this, and I check every day, this, the approval rating is the temperature of the president, of the body politic. If the president's above 60%, he's into FDR-Reagan territory. He's wildly popular. He can tell Congress what to do and get what he wants by and large. If the president's approval rating is below 40%, he's trying to squelch rumors that he's dead. He's saying things like Bill Clinton did after Newt Gingrich came to power in the House, I'm still relevant when he's not. If people start protesting that they're relevant, it's a pretty good sign in Washington that they're not. So Biden's at 37 He's now below the critical 40 number into the irrelevant flailing number. And that's because of the first two issues we've talked about. Prices for the economy and a total shameful incompetent or Machiavellian disregard for the border. Take your pick. Another issue that's absolutely destroying him is fewer than three in 10 approve of his handling of the Gaza war. This is a gigantic problem, a political problem for Biden. And we'll get back to this later on in the podcast. But this is a huge problem. Fewer than three in 10 of Americans approve of his handling of the Gaza war. Uh, supporters of Israel say he's not doing enough to help them. Supporters of the of the, the Gazans, the Palestinians and Hamas, particularly younger voters, say that he's abetting genocide. There's an incredible number in YouGov. And of course, I absolutely don't agree with this, but I'm reporting the numbers because the people feel what they do even when they're wrong, that young Democrats, 18 to 24, were polled. 50% say that Biden is abetting what, what is termed genocide being committed by the Israelis in Gaza. Now, I absolutely categorically refute that that's what's going on. The Israeli generals, well aware of world opinion, I think are going out of their way to limit civilian casualties and getting absolutely no credit for it. But the bottom line is that this is how young, activist, progressive, on-the-left Democrats feel about what's going on in Gaza. These folks aren't going to vote for Trump, but they're going to be so disheartened, they're either not going to vote or they're going to vote for Jill Stein or Cornel West, hurting and perhaps destroying the Biden candidacy. This is a dagger. This is a serious problem. He needs young voters to turn out in droves for him. And at the moment, Biden is only tied quite incredibly with Trump among young voters. And the reason is Gaza. And so that has to be kept in mind as we look. Um, Trump's also ahead of Biden on key issues, uh, maybe the key issue about Biden. He's ahead of Biden by 23 points in the NBC poll on if he has the necessary mental and physical health to be president. That Biden shuffling onto the stage is looking worse and worse. It's a terrible look. And people do the opposite end. That at the end of a second term, Biden would be 86. This is only going to get worse. Everybody's who's had older parents knows this. It doesn't get better. It either stays the same or it, get wor or it gets worse. And things are already pretty awful. Biden talks about Congress people who are dead as though they were still there. He confuses his syntax, and it's not just um, his usual word salad. This is a huge problem, and it's only, only going to get worse. I guarantee you they're not going to let Biden debate Trump and Bobby Kennedy. He would be eaten alive. They'll say Trump's a threat to democracy, so we're not going to be democratic and have a debate. 
And yes, things are that bad. That's a prediction I'm willing to make now. They're not going to let him debate because suppose he had a senior moment there. That would be it. And so they won't let him debate. They'll say in their horrible democratic way to defend democracy, we're going to have far less of it. We're not going to let you see a debate where the two candidates can be contrasted side by side. I dare them to do it. Um, He's also down 21 points, Biden to Trump, on dealing with crime and violence. People are aware that because of mass immigration, um, the inner cities are crime dens. I'll give you an example. I went to San Francisco, one of my favorite cities in the world, uh, last year for an event and was told by people in the city, well-meaning staffers, not to leave the downtown, not to leave the hotel. I was under house arrest because the homeless might attack me if I left the interior of the Hilton or wherever we were staying downtown. And this is extraordinary. And this is Democrats on Democrats. Like Gaza, it's a wedge issue. Most inner cities are run by Democrats. If you want to see the best argument against the Democratic Party and what a one-party Democratic state would do to America, it would make us Europe. Have a look at the downtown of Washington, D.C. Have a look at the downtown in Chicago. Have a look at the downtown in San Francisco. And you see all you need to know that having fewer police defunding the police Uh, allowing people to get away with petty crime, going away from the broken window syndrome leads to mass crime and violence. And people notice this. And when you add in illegal immigrants, then coming up and overwhelming these cities in terribly run finances, you get yourself crime and violence and Trump up 21 points on this key issue. Critically, only 35% of Latinos give Biden a positive approval rating, even lower than the national average. Only 29% of young voters, 18 to 34, and only 27% of independents who determine outcomes. 27% of independents. That's a flashing red number to keep in mind. Give Biden a positive approval performance. He needs at least 40. He's at 35 with Latinos, 29 with young voters, and 27 with independents. This is a disaster for him at the moment. Um, When you look at voters under 35, Now, this is another flashing red issue. Under 35, so youngish voters, only 15%, you heard me right, 15, 15% approve of Biden's handling of the Gaza war, and a whopping 70% disapprove. 15 approval, 70 disapproval. And this is absolutely destroying Biden's hope. He needs young people to come out in droves as they did in 2020 to give him the margins to win the close states. And they simply aren't biting largely over the Gaza war where they think he's aiding and abetting at least half of them genocide. So this is very, very hard to turn around. Biden needs the Gaza war to end yesterday for political reasons. And again, that that independent number is extraordinary too. only 27 percent supporting him. The two men at the moment are tied among Latino voters and young voters. Biden should be up by 20 points among both. His margin among African-Americans is still good, but not great. It's usually in the 80% range. He's coming in at 70, 75%. So he's on the low end here at 70 rather than the 80 to 100 range. Obama got over well over 90 um, for obvious reasons. But Biden needs to hold on to 85, 80% of African-Americans, and he's down to about 70 But extraordinarily, he's tied among Latinos and young voters and and that he needs to win both by 20 percent. So there you have it. If you add all that together, that gives you a good idea of the contours of the race. Several wedge issues are, are really hurting Biden. Most importantly, among the Democratic base, the Gaza war, which is dividing progressives from moderates. 
And Biden has opted for the moderate view. He's been more pro-Israeli than they would like. And this is really killing him. He's, again, 70% of young voters disapprove of his handling of the Gaza war. Only 15% approve. He's tied among young voters and Latinos. He needs to win both by 20%. And among the two key issues, the two most important issues of the day, the economy and immigration and polling, he's down more than 20 points to Trump on the economy and down more than 30 points to Trump among over immigration issues. The Morning Consult Bloomberg poll shows him behind by within the margin of error in the battleground states to well beyond the margin of error in places like Georgia, Michigan, and Arizona, where he absolutely has to win. And sailing away, North Carolina is now not even a battleground state. It's over 10. He's sailing away. Uh, Trump is there. And so what does this all say, looking at it? For these reasons, Donald Trump is definitively ahead at this moment in the race. It's not over. There is one silver bullet issue that could still hurt Trump, and it has to be mentioned at the end of this. If Trump is convicted of a felony before the 2024 race, polling would have the race put Biden ahead within the margin of error nationally, not how we vote, but nationally it would put him ahead by about 2%. This is the one issue that would swing people's minds in theory so far. Now, again, if he's convicted of something in New York where they have this novel legal theory that if you string a whole bunch of misdemeanors together, you get a felony. And if this, you know, I think I think Trump can say I would be convicted of being Ted Bundy and Charles Manson in a New York courtroom. Um, I think he has some room to run with the ball there. Even in Washington, 98 percent of folks in D.C. voted Democratic. It's not a neutral grouping. The problem in Georgia is that the potential misconduct of the prosecutor who ran on the fact that she was going to get Trump. She seems to have given her, made her boyfriend the chief investigator and then lavished large sums of money upon him. That's being played out in the courts in the next couple weeks. And we'll follow it. So this is amazingly given Trump grounds to argue misconduct of the prosecution. All of this and the delay in the, in the Washington trial lead one to believe that this could all very well last until after November and then Trump might well have immunity of some kind. These things then would be tried after he comes out of office. If that happens, he's safe. However, if he's convicted of one of these felonies, we will revisit the issue. I'm not certain when it happens, if it's done in a very biased area like D.C. or New York, it really would hurt Trump. I think Georgia would. Georgia, these charges have been brought up by, you know, in a state run largely by Republicans. And so I think it would be much harder for him to, to, to laugh that one away. But would that move the numbers as, as, as people are open to it doing now? I think we have to wait and see on that. I think we have to wait and see. I'm not sure it would, but it is the one issue that at the moment would move people's opinions, that Trump being convicted of a felony ahead of the election. So we'll watch that closely to see if that moves things as we move along. The last thing to say is Senate and House races. And we're nowhere near to making a call. We'll probably not do that until, I think, usually September. Uh, we'll, we'll involve you in our thinking in the community, though, as we go. The weird thing is, at the moment, we have a, a very, very narrow uh, Democratic lead in the Senate, obviously, and a very narrow Republican lead in the House. And you could argue that both those uh, majorities are in peril the Senate majority is in peril just because overwhelmingly the Democrats this cycle, one third of Senate seats come up for election every two years, of course, for the six year term. And just the seats that come up by the luck of the draw this time overwhelmingly favor uh, the Republicans. A seat like West Virginia, Joe Manchin's not even going to contest it. 
Trump won West Virginia by north of 30 points last time. Every other major office holder but Manchin is a Republican. That's a seat that's going to fall into the Republican laps. So now it's 50-50. Um, instead of 5149. You have a target-rich environment with states like Ohio that is Trump-leaning, Montana, which is Trump-leaning, that could well fall into the basket. But as we saw last time, Sherrod Brown, the incumbent in Ohio, again, I'm in Ohio and I know this, um, runs a very good old-fashioned FDR-style democratic populist old-school campaign. At the moment, he's up within the margin of error over any other Republican challenger. So a close race, but Brown slightly ahead. And John Tester, running out in Montana, has proven very difficult to dislodge. In theory, this should be an easy seat for a pickup. It's proven to be more difficult than that. So we'll have to watch for that as we go along as well. But at the moment, you can argue the Democrats are playing defense in the Senate, but the Republicans to some extent. And again, in a generic ballot, they're slightly ahead. So I may be wrong in this, but I think that overall nationally, they'll be playing some defense in the House because the way that Senate the Speaker McCarthy was removed, the vacuum that occurred before Speaker Johnson came in, I think means that it's harder for the Republicans to say they've been running things in good order in the House, though their numbers have rebounded somewhat with Speaker Johnson coming onto the scene, which is good news for them. But very, very close, very close margins in both the Senate and the House, and we're going to keep our eye on that. So way too early to call that. But the dynamics are for, again, a very close Senate and the House. And at the moment, Donald Trump ahead outside just the margin of error and state by state, uh, the Electoral College, I think he, he can be considered significantly ahead. But a lot to play for going ahead. The five-way election makes it devilishly difficult to call, and the indictments that could lead to convictions for Trump could sway the election going ahead beyond whatever happens between now and then. Maybe the Gaza war ends. Maybe the numbers boom, though I think that unlikely economically. Something will certainly happen. You know, this is the great thing about political risk. You never know how any one given day is, and you're constantly recalibrating. We will do so with you. But our February snapshot of the race says the Senate and the House at the moment is too close to call, and Donald Trump is up by a neck as we head into the clubhouse turn with the election just nine months away. Uh, one last thing to say, again, please do subscribe, so many of you have, uh, to, to the website uh, to, that we're doing in our community here at Substack. We really appreciate it, and we love the overwhelming support, and we love being able to spend more and more time with you. We'll do another one, perhaps, on Gaza. There's actually been some surprisingly green shoots of hope over two issues in Gaza I'd like to talk about unless something comes up. And then we'll do our fifth album of the week before we move on to movies and cinema is, is our next category, Why Robert Altman Matters, the great maverick independent filmmaker. We're going to look at five of his best before heading back to literature. Daryl will do one for you then, some British author of some kind. I haven't worked out who yet. But there we go. That's where we are, and we will keep them coming. Please do subscribe, and please do give the $70 we need to keep everything running. We're about to hit the road. Business is great. I actually have two meetings today to put two war games into the book, uh, one to play in June in Warsaw and one to play in June in Barcelona. Uh, we'll talk more about war games and how I do them as we go forward. I think it's a really interesting uh, product that we have here at the firm, and I think that the community would find it really, really interesting. We'll talk about how our war games work, but I'm, I have two phone calls in the next two days for that. Uh, getting ready to go to Bavaria get things going. And John Goodnight and I are locking in our trip to the United States to begin to sell the last best hope 
to the Republican Party leadership. We're going to do the Koch Brothers Salon dinner up in New York, uh, seeing old friends there as well as clients, and then head down to D.C. and try to sell this to the powers that be. And we begin our radio tour of the country. This is a populist book for a populist audience. We're going to try to blanket Washington or be, move beyond Washington and blanket the rest of the country. Um, with local radio is then do some of the bigger shows after that, but really focus on blanketing the country with our message. And again, last best hope, tell everyone who'd be interested. It is on sale on Amazon now. Please do buy it. It's doing so very well, even before the PR campaign gets going. I can only imagine how well it will do once it's out there. Tell everyone, now is the time for the last best hope. And now's the time for me to sign off and go have my espresso, guys. Take care. Have a great day and on to the week.